0: I had a u- unusual experience with the passage I'm going to preach this morning, and um, this doesn't happen to me often. But I found myself uh, as I was studying for Acts chapter, or not Acts chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. That in Ecclesiastes chapter three, as I studied this passage, God was really opening up things to me, and I was like, "Whoa!" Really intrigued. And I said, "I got to go back." And so I kept going back uh, day after day and then finally uh, there was one day I started about six in the morning and I had a day full of stuff and at 9.30 I literally played this to God kept on opening up new things to me and exciting me and thrilling me with the truths to the point that I said, God, you gotta stop. I gotta get some things done. Have you ever done that to God before? That's probably not a good thing to do. But that's what I did, and God did not stop. He kept on showing me things, Uh, but it was just a passage that that just really filled me. And I got to admit, I feel very inadequate to preach this text today. The reason for that is it's a text that's full of infinite truth. Infinite means no limits to it. Guess what, I'm a finite being, I got limits to me, so I'm trying to package into a sermon infinite truths using my finite mind and abilities to do that. So I feel very inadequate to start with, and there's a big question in this text that many of us have asked before that's gonna be addressed as well. Now you need to know this, I gotta tell you right up front. I may raise more questions today than I answer. But I'm hoping, as one one man said one time, I'm hoping you'll leave today confused at a higher level. You get it? Probably confused at this level. Hopefully when you leave today, you'll be confused at this level. And maybe a thimble full of more truth to help you maybe as you think and wrestle with these issues. There's two major intersections that take place in Ecclesiastes chapter three. There's the intersection, first of all, that we come to between time and eternity. (laughs) Time right here on earth, this very moment, 10.02, Sunday morning, and eternity that extends from eternity past into eternity future. We're going to see those two intersect in this passage, but we're going to see another thing that intersects, and it's the sovereignty of God and man's activity, and the two Come together. I want to just take a moment to say something about God's sovereignty before we jump into the text. God's sovereignty basically means this God has the right and the power to do as He pleases, and He controls everything, both in heaven and on earth, according to His will. Now that's what God's sovereignty means and has a lot of implications to it. Now I do want to give you two balances because you know with scripture, you can't just take one passage of scripture out of context of the rest of scripture. We got to let truth balance all truth. And so you get to the tensions and you're able to get the whole truth then and be more healthy. One of the tensions of God's sovereignty is this. God is absolutely Holy. And there's no evil in God. And God does not tempt anyone to evil. Therefore, we need to understand this. Even in God's sovereignty, he's not responsible for evil. So if you start to say, well, this evil thing happened or that evil thing happened, how could God let this happen? Uh, we, We need to understand that was not an appointed act by God. God allowed it. But it wasn't God's sovereignty that caused it. And the second thing is this. Romans 9 through 11 talks about the truth that God is fully sovereign over man and, and, and his life. But at the same time, man is fully responsible for his choices. So those, again, these are, these are tensions God is fully in control and fully sovereign, yet man is fully responsible for his choices. How do you put those things together? Well, my best attempt to put it together is the way that Paul does, and listen to this, because as he gets to the end of chapters 9 through 11, this is the way how Paul concludes that. He says, listen to this. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Unfathomable means the ability to comprehend. Remember I just said that, I'm going to go, God's ways are infinite. How, you know, how deep are the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge? This is in the context of his sovereignty, chapters nine through 11, And he's closing this up, and his heart is turning rather than trying to figure out God and recognizing that God is so big, I'll never be able to figure him out. No man can search God out, and no man can fully comprehend his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? I gotta be honest with you, as I was praying through this passage this morning, God spoke to me. Well, Pat, you know, I think sometimes you think You're my counselor when you pray. How many times are we telling God what to do when we pray? Almost as if God needs my advice. God, do this, do that, and please do this. And How about if I just trust God and worship him and bring that situation to him without telling him how he ought to do it? But so often I find I play as God's counselor. Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things are from God, all things are through God, and all things are to God. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, you know, a message like today should help us be humble before our God and worship him. And exalt him for the greatness of his sovereignty because all things are from him and through him and to him. And nobody can search out and how unfathomable are his ways. So as we move into today, I want you to understand again, there's a lot of questions I still have about God's sovereignty. So don't think today's message, I'm gonna have it all surrounded. I'm gonna give you another piece of the truth as you think about it to help balance out your thinking And put it together about God and the fact that he has the right and the power to do whatever he pleases. And that he really is in control of everything in heaven and earth according to his will. We together? Let's jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you haven't turned there yet, turn there. You've got to see God's word this morning. My hope is to bring to you what God says and not Pat's best thoughts and ideas about it. The structure of chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 is very simple. He starts off by stating a truth. It'll be a truth about God's sovereignty. Then in the verses 2 through 8, he's going to illustrate this truth and kind of bring it from that abstract truth down to earth and what it looks like for us in our daily lives. And then finally, there's going to be a question that comes out of that. And it's a big question that many of us ask when we consider God's sovereignty as well. So let's jump right in in this truth in verse one. As he says this, there is an appointed time for everything. An appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven right here on earth Note the word time here, first of all, comes up twice in this passage, this verse. Actually, by the time we hit the end of verse 8, we'll see it coming up 30 times. So now we're getting a feel for the theme of this passage. I guess I would guess it has something to do with time. And so 30 times in these eight verses, uh, we're going to see the word time. The first word Appointed time, there's two different words that are used in the Hebrew for word time in this first verse. The first one is an appointed time. The second one is time in general. There's a time for every event under heaven. He moves us from the universal, an appointed time for everything, to there's a time for every specific event under heaven. You know what he's telling us in this verse? God has a master calendar in heaven. (laughs) And before anything has happened here on earth, he has written it into the calendar with a date and a time for it to happen. That's basically what this verse is saying. There's an appointed time for every event here on earth. And God's master calendar in heaven, he has written it in. He I don't know how God does it, but it's in there and and, and it, it, well before it ever took place on earth. And then he gives us examples of it in verses two to eight. And he's gonna give us uh, 14 sets of opposites. Uh, they call this a mirrorism, it's a figure of speech which means it's polar opposites, which means it includes everything in between. So when he says there's a time to give birth and a time to die, There's not only a time a person is born and a time they die, as we learn in uh, Psalm 139 that God has already written the number of our days in a book before there was even one of them. So God's appointed a time for us to be born, a time for us to die, but it means that everything in between that also is appointed by God. He goes on and says, There's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to tear down. And a time to build up. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. And there's a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones. And there's a time to gather stones. A time to embrace. And a time to shun embracing. A time to search And a time to give up as lost. A time to keep. And a time to throw away. A time to tear apart. And a time to sow. A time to be silent. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. And then we come to the big question. He lays out the principle. God is in control of everything. Down to the appointed time of things, everything. Then he says this. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? Now we gotta keep this question in context. What's the context? God is sovereign over everything, right? So now he's asking the question that many of us, uh, we have asked in the light of God's sovereignty. What value is to anything I do if God is sovereign or is already appointed, what's going to happen? Haven't you, I've asked that question. I don't know about you. I've asked it all the way down to my prayers. God, well, why am I praying about this if you're going to do what you've already appointed to do? And this is where Solomon comes at the end of this observation of recognizing God's sovereignty over everything here on earth So what profit is there? What advantage is there to what I do if God is in control of everything? Now, I'm encouraged to hear that many of you have been reading along in Ecclesiastes with us in this series, and I hope you continue to do that. Now, the answer I would have expected to this question, which we see all the way coming up to this pivotal chapter, chapter three, and even following it all the way through chapter six, the answer I would have expected was this. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? He asks many other what's his answer? It's all vanity. Striving after wind. But that isn't how he answers it here. He goes on to answer this question in verses nine to 15. And this passage is so pivotal because it gives us insight to the heart of this whole book. And we see an answer in light of a sovereign God What advantage is there to the things that I do here on earth? So listen to the answer as I move on to verse 11. So let me ask the question again in verse nine. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils since God is sovereign over everything? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. Did you catch that? He didn't say it's all vanity and useless and like chasing after wind. His answer to the question about what it profit, what advantage is it for what I do if God's already appointed everything is that God himself has made everything appropriate in its appointed time. Now the word appropriate is, is it's a, I'm going to say it's a beautiful word because it actually means beautiful. Same word used of the woman in the Song of Solomon. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is appropriate. Everything is proper regarding what God has done. And part of that everything, by the way, is what? Verses two through eight. As part of verse one, he's appointed time for everything. Well, guess what? He has made everything appropriate in its time. So the first thing we have to understand when we consider our activities and what's happening on earth and the events that we're experiencing is that God himself has made everything beautiful in its time. Then he goes on and says this in verse 11. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done. So here we got it. God has made everything beautiful in its appointed time. God has placed within every person that walks on this earth a sense of eternity. Again, This finite mind doesn't know what all that means, but I think part of it is this. There's something deep within man that's trying to grapple with what's bigger than myself and what's going on in this world. And man is looking at his events and going, why did this happen and what does this mean? There's that longing and that search deep within us because we have eternity in our hearts and understanding the bigger things and how my little piece of life fits into it and what's going on. And yet, while we have this sense of eternity, yet, as we saw a few weeks ago, what's one of the key themes in Ecclesiastes? Man does not have the ability to understand what God is doing. So on the one hand, we have a longing deep within us to get it. But here he says again, He's put eternity in our heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done. So there's this thing deep within us that says, on one hand, I want to understand this, but on the other hand, I can't get it. And then the third thing we see in this verse is this. Man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. God's work is eternal. I, I think of it this way, eternity, there's no beginning, there's no end. When I think of eternal, when I say eternity past, I'm looking back at the fact there's no beginning. Time goes on forever that way. When I look at there's no end, time goes on forever that way. God is eternal, there's no beginning, there's no end. And the work that God has done is part of this big plan that stretches from eternity past into eternity future. And we gotta understand this, brothers and sisters, when we think of the things in our life, that we at best see it like a tapestry. Now I think you know what a tapestry is. It's a, usually made out of a piece of wool and then they're weaving things back and forth to make a, and it becomes out a beautiful picture when you see the front of the tapestry. But when you see the back of the tapestry, it looks like a mess, it makes no sense. Now we gotta think of a tapestry that extends all the way that way and never ends because of God, what God is doing from beginning to end and all the way that way that never has a beginning. You follow me? But also it's a tapestry that goes up as high as the heavens and beyond and as below as you can get. So here we got this tapestry that God's doing this big, eternal, beautiful plan that God is working out. And guess what I see with my finite mind? I see the backside of my little stitch and a few stitches that are by me. I can't see that big picture. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But this is the reality of what God is doing. He's got a big, beautiful plan that stretches into eternity, and in light of that plan, the events of my life are beautiful with a picture that God is drawing in front, and I only see my life, but it'll have to include your life and the life of everybody around us and everybody in the world, uh, those before us and those that'll come after us. That's what God's plan includes. So why do you think we can't understand it? Finite minds. (laughs) We're trying to deal with an infinite God who's got an infinite plan that's beautiful, But at best, we see a small little piece of this gigantic tapestry, and we only see the backside where we fit in. There's one more truth down here about the uh, everythings of God. I'm sorry, I want to see my notes where I'm at. Okay, there we are. Verse 14, look at this. I know that everything God does will remain forever, permanent. There is nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. That means it's perfect. You know, what God does lasts forever. There's nothing to add to it. I mean, God, you're missing something. You need, no, no, no. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. God, you shouldn't have done that. We need to take that piece out of this thing. No, no, no. What he's saying is everything God does is permanent and it's perfect. Nothing to add to it, nothing to take from it. So, I, you know, it just struck me. One of the things that struck me in this passage are the three everythings that drive this passage. Put it in a PowerPoint up here for you to see. But trust that'll be up there in a second. The everything's in verse one, what? Everything is according to God's appointed time. It's the truth, we saw, right? What do we see in verse 11? Everything is, a beautiful, is beautiful in that appointed time. And then in verse 14, what God does is permanent and perfect, everything. God's appointed everything. God's made everything beautiful in its time in light of the big, eternal, beautiful scheme that he has. And everything God does is perfect and permanent. Why? Looking back at the text. And to verse 14. So that men should fear him. Why did God do that? Why is God doing all of it this way? You know why? It all comes down to the fact. That God is seeking to bring man into a proper relationship with Him. We saw, and we'll matter of fact, by the way, in a few weeks I'll be uh, preaching about what the fear of God means. A lot of people think that's the kind. Oh man, I got to be afraid of God. That's really not the heart of it. It's really the heart of it is a deep respect and awe. It's a respect and wonder. And when you start to think about these truths, you can't help but respect God and wonder about his greatness. It's a deep respect and wonder about God that goes so deep within your being that it causes you to trust him and obey him. And so what God is doing in his sovereign plan is he's working ultimately in a place for my life and your life to bring me to a place where I'm going to bow before him and acknowledge his greatness in all oh, the depths, the depth of the riches of both his wisdom and his knowledge. So I get to that place, I say, oh, how unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable are his ways. To him be the glory, because all things are from him, through him, and to him. To him be the glory forever. <laughs> Amen. That is what God is seeking to do, is to bring you and me, not, not just on a Sunday morning for 20 minutes, not, but you know what, guys? God, that's the attitude of heart that God wants to work in every one of us, every day, every moment, every event of our lives. So what's a couple takeaways? Let me give you a couple takeaways to this. First of all is this. I, I told you that there's a tension in Ecclesiastes. There's an overpowering of God's truth over man's activities. Well, we're like the 10-watt bulb. God's got this 1,000-watt bulb that so overpowers what we do that it seems meaningless and trivial. But you know what we see here, guys, about our activities? Because you read something like this or you look at your life and, and it always seems bad. ways, well, what use is what I do? You know, it, it seems vain and useless and have no purpose. Guess what? What you do is the instrument that God does to create his beautiful plan. Are you connecting with me? When you take this in context and the way that God is communicating to us in Ecclesiastes 3 and he answers this question and, you know, what is, what's the use? The reason this time he didn't say, all oh, it's futile and after, like chasing after wind. He says, because God is using what you do to create his beautiful eternal plan. I shouldn't say create, but to fulfill. <laughs> God has already developed that plan. We see in verses 2 to 8 all the everythings. Verse 10, we see that uh, I've seen the task with God has given the men. What we do, God's given it to us. And it's part of the good that he is accomplishing. Look at verses 12 to 13 in this passage. We skipped that because I was gonna come back to it. After talking about this big, beautiful plan that God has, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, in addition to this, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It's a gift from God. If you don't see your life and what you're doing as a part of God's big, eternal, beautiful plan, then you haven't experienced that grace of God yet in your heart that allows you to look at the events of your life through the eternal eyes. You're still looking at everything from an earthly, worldly, fleshly view. But one of God's gifts is the ability to look at my life and what I'm doing and seeing it as good and as part of God's big, beautiful plan. Let me give you another takeaway this becomes, I believe, this is the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent to Romans eight twenty eight. Think with me for a second. Here it is. We have it up here again for you to see. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose for, here's the reason why, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God's taking all the events of our life. God didn't cause the evil, but God is able to take all the evil and bring all that together and even use it to do something that's eternally beautiful, and that's make you and me more like Jesus right now in time, and even more so when we move into eternity. God is doing something. God is in control of everything that touches our life. God causes all things to work together for good. And what do we see here in Ecclesiastes? Everything is appointed by God. Everything is proper, appropriate, and beautiful in its time. And everything God does is perfect. That's the lens we have to look at the events of our lives through. And that's a gift that God gives to people to be able to see life through His eyes rather than our own. So, this is the second thing I want to say Ecclesiastes 3 is the compass that God gave to them and gives to us to regain our bearings when we're in the midst of the difficulties of our lives. Because you know what, guys? I, you know, I, I wanna make sure I understand, I get it. There are some unbelievably hard things people have gone through in this room that are just heart-wrenching and can't help you say, but God, but why? So I, I'm not ignorant of that. I've had things in my life, God, why? And most of those come because of stupid choices I made that screwed up my life. God, what, why did you let that happen? You know, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, so I understand. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to play light here with, uh, there's a reality that life is very difficult, hard to understand, creates great pain that has touched every person in this room. And yet when I need a compass and those questions come up, why? Here's the compass I can go back to. Because part of God's eternal plan is he's using this to bring out the big, beautiful tapestry that he's creating in the plan that he has. Once in a while, God will give us a window to this and allow us to see a little bit of what he's done. You know, and I've seen little windows in my life of things where that happened, and later on, maybe it takes a year or two or months, and I said, oh, now I get why God needed to do that in my life, I understand. But I couldn't help but think of Kathy Clark's message on Mother's Day. And as she shared with us the unbelievable timing that Kevin before he went out to his last battle, remembered to grab an assignment for a class that he was doing and turn it into, I think it was one of his sergeants, and said, you know what, I'm going out there, could you turn this in for me? And that particular assignment, Kevin, it was a class on world religions, Kevin decided to write his own testimony up in a very clear way how he came to know Jesus. Jesus. As Kathy shared with us, you know that um, Kevin was killed during that battle, never came back. And the sergeant sent a email to Phil and Kathy just within a couple of days, says, I normally don't do this, he said, but I gotta tell you, I'm a Christian myself. And I actually did the same assignment of writing my testimony, I was so moved by what Kevin did, I just need to let you know That at the service on Sunday, that testimony was read, and that that testimony ended up, people were asking for it, began to spread, went onto the Marine Corps website, and began to spread from there. God used that in a way. And you know, you take again the fact that you have, I have no idea how many seeds have been planted by Kevin's testimony. How many lives have been changed? How many marriages got saved? How many families were impacted? The kids are now growing up because of that. We have no idea what God was doing through that event, which absolutely was painful. But yet God is doing something so much bigger and larger that we have a hard time understanding. And yet, you know, you add on top of it, Kathy's sharing a Mother's Day. And I've talked to more than one person that's talked about how that message And how Kathy, as you shared your honest struggle with God and the way that you were radically honest about the pain you were going through and wrestling with God with that, how that has freed up others. It's all, again, little pieces, little glimpses from the backside of the tapestry of what God's doing with the events in our life and his sovereignty. So I want to encourage you, let the compass of your life be the fact that God has appointed everything. He's made everything beautiful in its appointed time. And that everything he does is perfect. That's part of a much larger plan that we'll never be able to understand. So this is how I want to close this. I want you to think of one event, just one, Maybe it's current. Maybe it was in the past. Something that was painful for you. Something was difficult. I when I say event. It might be a season of life. It doesn't have to be a, you know. What is something that you are or have really wrestled with and say, I don't get this. I don't understand it. I don't know why God would allow this to happen. I want you to think about that. Get one in your mind. I'll give you just a second. I hope you have that because um, what I'm going to share next we learned from Ron Ovitt on the class on anxiety when I came for his day-long seminar. I want you to do this. When you think about that event, what are you saying about it? Or maybe more importantly, when you tell others about that event, How do you explain the story of what happened to them? Because if you listen to the story you tell, you're going to begin to understand your interpretation of what happened. You following me? So the way you tell that story is going to reveal to you of this difficult event how you interpret that event. So I want to give you a second here. Take a moment to put a title to that event in light of the way you've been telling it. What would you call it? Example might be the day I got ripped off. Or it might be the day that a friend betrayed me. Or it might be just called injustice, unfair. So think, put a title to your event. Take a moment. That event you're struggling with, give it a name. Like you're writing a newspaper article, what would be the title of that story? You got it? Here's the next question. On a scale of one to ten, one being not even close, 10 being right on target, is that title in line with Ecclesiastes 3.11 and Romans 8.28 and 29? In other words, how close is that title that you just gave it to the fact that God is actually doing something beautiful in his eternal plan And that God is in control of everything, using it together to make me more like Jesus. What number would you give that title? Again, I'm telling you, how have you told the story? I'm not trying to get get it well now so I sound good on Sunday morning. The way you've told that story, what do you title it? How close is that? And this is the way I want us to close it's time to give it a new title. It's time to look back at that event, that season of your life, and give it a title that reflects the truths of Ecclesiastes 3 and Romans 8, 28, and 29. And if we go forward now, daring to believe God's truth and beginning to name that event or that season with a brand new title that's consistent with ecclesiastes 3:11 or with romans 8:28 or 29 brothers and sisters it will turn your life and my life upside down brother told me this morning in our prayer time he said you know when my wife died i can't remember exactly how he said it but he said it's like god why, why would you put her through this why would you take her from me now he said after a year or two, God turned that upside down in his mind and said, God saved her. God delivered her. That's what we're talking about. Changes everything. From God, how could you do that to me? To God, what a wonderful gift you gave to my wife. And that's what I want you to do. Take a moment now. What is the new title that you will give to that event or that season in your life that is consistent with Ecclesiastes 3.11, consistent with the fact that God appointed it, God made it beautiful in his time, everything God does is perfect. Take a moment and give it a title. May God give you the grace to see good in all the events of our life and all the activities of our life. It's a gift from God.